Hello, you're listening to the Sydney Writers Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name is Valerie Koo and you can find us online at sydneywriterscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips and valuable ideas on how to get published. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. James Halliday is a leading authority in the Australian wine industry. With a career spanning over 40 years, he's a wine critic and judge, writer and winemaker. He has published numerous best-selling books on wine, including the James Halliday Annual Wine Companion, an annual Bible for wine aficionados and novices alike. The 2012 edition is out now, complete with full tasting notes, ratings and prices for over 3,424 wines, along with winery profiles and extensive advice on varietal wine styles and regions of Australia. James began his career as a lawyer and progressed to partner of a national law firm, Clayton Utes. He also established the Broken Wood Winery in the Hunter Valley with two of his legal colleagues and then founded the Coldstream Hills Winery in the Yarra Valley in Victoria, which was sold to Southcorp Wines. James is a wine judge and regularly travels to wine shows around Australia and overseas. James, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on board. Now tell us about your latest book, The New Australian Wine Companion. How is it different to your other wine companions? Um, Well, in one basic uh, respect, I suppose, uh, each time when I do one of these, I basically throw uh, the prior year into the bin. Every single bit of of the 760 pages is is new. Um, But that's motherhood to one side. Um, The ever-increasing numbers of wines on the Australian market has led to um, more and more of the notes going across uh, to the website and ha- bypassing the book. There are still 3,424 uh, tasting notes and <laughs> wine descriptions in the book, but uh, 3,400 um, went to the website. Wow. And um, also this year, it's the first year it will happen, um, I'm... I have actually now just finished writing uh, another book, um, 1,001 Wines Under $20, that will come out in in early November in time for the uh, Christmas market. Um, And that picks up wines that um, wouldn't get a major run uh, in the wine companion um, mm. and and really features uh, wines, as I say, that are under $20 and uh, all represent very good value um, for money. Uh, so that that's, uh, I guess, the third third answer to this um, ever-increasing amount of information. <laughs> so 3,424 wines in the book plus another 3,400 on the website yep. and then the 1,001 under $20 coming out in November. Yeah. Uh, this, this is a hell of a lot of wine to be tasting. That's, I don't know, I can't even calculate how many that is per day. I mean, do you really taste that much wine or do you have helpers? Uh, I, I really 
uh, face that much wine. However, it is true um, that three years ago um, I got um, Ben Edwards, who's um, head of the Australian Sommeliers Association and a wine judge and a thoroughly nice uh, man, bloke, whatever, um, to uh, do some of the tasting. We don't do it together. Uh, we'd never get there if we did the same wines. In other words, two of us judging the same wine as we might in a wine show, whether it be three of us. Um, he either tastes them or I taste them. But it's still only about 15% um, of, the, of the wines that he does. I do 85%. The reason um, for that is... Yeah, as much to do with um, what you might call succession planning as, as anything else, um, because um, Hardy Grant and I are in a somewhat unusual uh, situation. We are, in fact, uh, partners, joint venture uh, uh, partners um, on all of the companion uh, projects, including the website. Uh, this book, I should say, the companion is also um, available as an as an ebook, an iBook, um, mm-hmm. and it, it, it's also um, uploaded instantly to the Wine app. So it it it, it actually uh, it it appears in a number of different uh, uh, platforms, uh, and uh, as I say, um, Hardy Grant and I have a, a joint venture. And the idea is that when I become too old, too dead, too whatever, um, to continue uh, with the wine companion, it itself will continue uh, on into the future. When I challenged Sandy Grant, why on earth did he want to saddle himself with this and you know, buy, as it were, half the, half the goodwill, half the masthead, he mm. pointed out that um, Mr. Wisdom, the cricket Almanac writer died in 18 something or other, uh, and the Wisdom Almanac still comes out every year and is bought by people um, every year. Uh, and it, the, the book is different to all of the other um, annuals because it not, doesn't just uh, give tasting notes, it's got um, the profiles of uh, 1,477 wineries, um, it's got a raft of, of other. Um, information. A lot of it can be pulled out of, uh, and we do pull it back out of database. So you've got, um, you know, best of the best, best wineries of given regions, but then you've also got best wines by variety, and you've also got the best wines by variety and region. So you can track where the best semions are coming from, the best Chardonnays mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so, the, I mean, the, 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 there are features in this book um, which uh, are not uh, strictly uh, dependent on my involvement. Mind you, um, I have no intention whatsoever of stopping um, writing the Australian Wine Companion. Yes, it's a huge job. It really is. Mm. I'm already writing next year's edition. When I say writing it, I'm doing tastings for it. Mm. Um, so it's uh, like the Harbour Bridge. You get to one end painting it and then you <laughs> turn around and start all over again. So that's an incredible amount of research you have to do every year and obviously there's some travelling involved. How do you actually structure when you research and when you write? Do you do all the research first and then block yeah. out a chunk of time? Uh, a bit of both. Um, uh, in the first sort of 14 days of September, 
I will be tasting 120 to 150 wines a day, um, and out of that, um, there's sort of I expect there'll be about 1,400 wines. Um, that they, the result of that will appear in the Weekend Australian uh, Top 100, which is an annual thing, uh, feature that comes out. Um, but all of the tasting notes that I make um, for the Top 100 will go into the website. So September is one uh, peak tasting period. Um, the next is um, January, February, March um, in December, uh, we send out letters to every winery that we've got in our database, uh, inviting them to submit wines uh, for the 2000, this instance, 2013. And that is um, a pretty awful time. It just goes on, grinds on relentlessly. Wineries pay absolutely no attention whatsoever to deadlines that I put in the, <laughs> the book. This is just a sort of a, not even an orange light at an intersection. It's that sort of flashing green or whatever. Um, but that does go on, um, and by the time I've finished that, I am pretty tired mentally. <laughs> it's mental tiredness that gets you. Yes. So there are many people out there who love wine, and they might love writing about wine, perhaps for their own blog or their own wine tasting group or something like that. And I, I'm sure a lot of them would love to know uh, your tips on how, in their wine writing, how to differentiate, uh, especially 3,424 wines from each other. What are the key things? What are the key tips on that they should be writing about? Well, um, I guess it's not in a sense for me to say this, but um, Sandy Grant, when we had a launch of this book um, in Melbourne a couple of days ago, uh, said that, um, he made the observation, and I emphasize it's him saying this, not me, uh, that it is incredible that I can write 8,000 notes and yet each note is different to the other, has a different flavor, has a different uh, set of linguistic uh, linguistics words um, so that you avoid that repetition which you can see in a lot of uh, mm. uh, a lot of these sort of tasting books um, where the, the really the only difference is the points uh, given um, so uh, that's one of the things so think about uh, your tasting note don't uh, in my view and that's, I'm, I'm, there, are, there are two schools of thought about this um, some writers, both in Australia and, and overseas, can see um, five different uh, types of um, well, strawberries, let's say. I mean, okay, there's phrase to buy, et cetera, et cetera, but they'll see five or six, uh, likewise, plums, and then get into all sorts of esoteric um, flavors and nuances which you mm. think are wildly impossible, like tar <laughs> and spice in a, a Riesling um, and so you get this sort of seven or eight breathless lines um, of prose with a whole host of aromas and flavours being thrown at you and you get to the end and you draw in your breath and say well yes but what what did you, and I'm mentally addressing the, the, uh, yes. the writer, what, what really did you think of the wine? Um, yeah. you know, did you really like it or did you not really like it? And just how relevant are the points to what you've, you've written about? So I think mm. you've got to keep the message as simple as possible, 
yet avoid repetition. Now, those two things, balancing those two requirements, um, it, it takes experience. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah, so. Such a skill. So, but take me back to when you first started writing about wine. I understand you were working in a law firm. Is that right? How did you get into it? Um, well, it goes back to even before I went to university. My father was a doctor. He came back from doing his uh, FRCP for the Royal College of Physicians in England in uh, 1932-33. He had not had any exposure to wine before he left to go to England, but he, he there uh, learnt about uh, fine table wine, obviously French, uh, more than anything else, came back to Australia with, with an interest and began uh, got an introduction to Lindemans, who at that time were in receivership, uh, host, uh, housed in the basement of the Queen Victoria building in Sydney, along with uh, Penfolds. Penfolds had the other half. Lindemans had one half. Penfolds had the other half. Strange days. Um, and started to buy um, Lindemann wines, and they all came from the Hunter Valley. And I was a sort of unofficial butler at home. I was the youngest of three children. And we had a walk-in uh, stone wine cellar underneath the house with wooden racks, etc. Um, and I would be uh, dispatched down to get the chosen bottle of wine or wines to be uh, served that evening. They didn't drink wine every night, uh, but always when we had guests and on other occasions too. Um, and um, so I, I was sort of physically well and truly aware of table wine, but mm. um, was given a you know, small glass to taste. There's a family dispute as to whether or not people's recollection, both mother and father are dead, but uh, whether it was watered down 50% water. <laughs> uh, there were, uh, there's, there's two schools of thought. Um, then I went to university and I was at St. Paul's College uh, for mm. six years while I did arts law. It had a wine club and a wine cellar. And it was then that I made my first trips to the Hunter Valley. Uh, I went overseas in 1962 with a mate, and we had a Thames van and a two-man tent and drove from literally one end of Europe to the other, paying the only attention we paid to the, the wine regions we went to was what we could buy at the camping ground. We didn't, I didn't have a clue about Bordeaux or Burgundy. I knew about Australian wine, but I had no knowledge of French wine whatsoever came back from that and it was really at that point that suddenly I started buying more wine than I was drinking and the cellar was first of all set up under my double bed in the house of ill fame in which I lived then it started invading the linen cupboard then I moved out of that to a place in my own and uh, had began storing wine under my parents house in uh, in Moss Vale uh, and my sister's place at Lane Cove, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, and it just grew like topsy. Mm. And then at the end of the 1960s, I was approached, by which time I'd suddenly become extremely interested in French wine, thanks to Lynn Evans, because I'd become a friend and mm. drank at his um, bulletin place wine cellar and restaurant every, certainly every Monday, uh, when we would play uh, the options game with, with great wines, which were then very cheap, I must say. Mm -hmm. um, and But it was around that time that I was asked to write um, for the Epicurean magazine, and mm -hmm. I did so. Uh, it was also 1969 that I and two others bought the land that 
became broken wood. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as I went into the 70s, um, it was a weird uh, time. I was still a partner. I'd become a partner at uh, my law firm, Clayton Newts, in 1966. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a lot of uh, uh, pulling in, in various directions, um, one of which I sold by giving up part of my part- partnership share in return for an extra two weeks holiday a year. Um, sorry, four weeks. So I got eight weeks and that was the only way I could fit in all of my travel, which then was extensive through Australia, etc. Uh, and do the vintage, make the wine at, uh, at Brokenwood and do the winter pruning at Brokenwood. Um, so there were you know, a lot of streams of, of experience uh, mm. coming in all at the one time. So you've had broken wood and you've had cold stream as well. That, yeah, that was uh, we started in that. Yarra? Yeah, I moved. I moved to uh, Melbourne for my law firm in 1983, um, ostensibly to basically create the Melbourne office. Um, and there were five people at first. I'd been managing partner in Sydney with hundreds of people, mm-hmm. and then suddenly I'm I'm managing partner of a firm with five people and going out <laughs> and buying the paper clips myself rather than telling someone else to do it. Um, and uh, that that lasted for five years, uh, eighty three mm-hmm. to eighty eight. But in eighty five, I'd I'd started um, Coldstream Hills. Uh, and my original strategy was to make wine in 85, 86, 87, 88 when I was planning on retiring from Clayton mm. Utes and I'd have four years of, of wine income to cover the fact that I was otherwise going to have no visible means of support. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got a bit carried away. Uh, the beautiful property in which Coldstream, our house in, uh, sits now, uh, came up to sale and uh, uh, I... We, we bought it and we established Coldstream in, in, in 85. Mm. Uh, and I gave away the idea of uh, originally you know, making it someone else's place from someone else's grapes. So suddenly it became full on. Mm. Now, this past year has been quite traumatic with floods, terrible weather, that kind of thing. How has this impacted the wine industry and how has it impacted your writing? Well, um, it, a couple of things need to be said. Um, first up, West Australia um, got it got lucky once again. Every time it's too hot in the east, they have a perfectly cool and normal summer. This year, while we're being inundated, flooded, whatever, um, they had a warm, dry vintage. So West made yet. Uh, yet more terrific wines. That's from Margaret River, uh, all through the uh, the many many regions in Western Australia and the southern part uh, below. Even the Swan Valley had a had a good time of it. Um, so it's one exception. Uh, the Hunter Valley had its usual horrible mix of mm-hmm. heat and rain, but they're used to that, and it was no it was no different basically to usual. It wasn't a great vintage for them, but it wasn't a bad vintage. That's another exception. Tasmania, uh, another exception. Uh, then the white wines are in most regions, because the weather was not only wet, but it was also cool, um, we've ended up with very fragrant white wines. And there'll be some really lovely white wines coming out of 2011. Uh, the real problem uh, is with uh, the reds. And in most regions, um, 
unless you're especially lucky and especially vigilant, um, the reds will be light-bodied, and not as much colour as people are used to, and so on and so forth. Mm. Um, the, but even there, you've got to differentiate. There really is two wine industries in Australia. One is the commercial end of the market, the, the, uh, the uh, casks and the wine selling for probably under $10 a bottle, but, but certainly under $12 a bottle. And that is marketed through the supermarkets um, almost exclusively, a little bit of online, I suppose, but it's basically uh, supermarket territory and, and export territory. Uh, the other end is the fine wine end, and it's, it, it, as I say, it's in, in very, very different to the commodity end. The impact on the fine wine industry will, will really won't be noticed until about a year or two down the track with red wines, because currently uh, the 09s and 010s, and the 010s in particular were wonderful wines, um, mm. are being sold. So it'll be a delayed response, and hopefully next year will be better, much better. It better be. <laughs> so there will also be, um, you know, probably early release of some 11, oh, 11 uh, reds. Um, the, however, all of that said, the, 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 the real sting in the tail of this is that we should really only have harvested 1.3 million tonnes and uh, in fact 1.63 million tonnes were harvested and the melancholy truth, and I have written about this in the Weekend Australian and I haven't pulled any punches, mm. is that that 330,000 tonnes were rotten grapes which should have been left on the uh, vine to completely rot. Mm. Um, they were bought for a song and uh, will be sold at very low prices. Um, so, and the, the one itself will be sold in bulk uh, to the UK and to China. It is the absolute opposite to what Australia should be doing. It will do damage to uh, the reputation of Australian wine, even though it's nothing to do with the top end. We're trying desperately to move away from the sunshine and the bottle cheap, easy, mm. whatever wine, uh, mm. and present ourselves as a, a country which has really seriously good wines. Uh, we've got this amazing spread of, uh, of climate you know, across the length and breadth, north to south, east to west of Australia, uh, and we've got some really good winemakers and are making some really, really fantastic wines. Uh, they're far better. Uh, if you look at them overall than they were 10 years ago, uh, far, far better 20 years ago, etc. Uh, mm. Of course, at the very top, there have always been a you know, few outstanding, absolutely outstanding. They're the classics, they're the, the Hill of Graces, the, the Penpoles Grange, etc. Um, the Lewin Estate, etc. in Margaret River. So how involved were you with the iPad and iPhone app? Because I think it makes so much sense when you're in the wine shop, you have the information at your fingertips. How much did you get into the development of that? Um, well, the honest truth about this is that I have two girls who work for me um, and one who's been with me for 15 or so years uh, came to me with an experience in desk, uh, desktop publishing mm -hmm. and uh, knows more about databases than, than many. Uh, mm -hmm. she's, she's seriously, seriously good at this. So she really understands the database uh, and uh, how you make uh, changes and so on and so forth. 
the technical side of it, I, I really had almost nothing to do with that was done mm-hmm. um, by Hardy Grant, who, who employed a, a little uh, group of people called Igloo. And so they have, the, the website is literally completely, been completely rebuilt. Uh, and uh, the search function, um, while different and, of course, always change, uh, gives rise to anxiety, uh, it is different to the search function that was there before but is vastly enhanced. Um, and uh, the app, too, um, will have more information and better ease of access. Mm. Um, so, yes, you're absolutely right. It is a multi-platform uh, uh, product and there will, in fact, be a magazine coming out at the end of the year which will be both in hard hard form but also uh, go up on the uh, on the website. So, oh, very exciting. Uh, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's all coming together, certainly, yeah. for sure. <laughs> um, so sometimes you may have, you know, not written the most favourable review on yeah. some wines. Have you received any unhappy feedback and what form does that usually take? If, well, if people... a long, yeah, a long time mm-hmm. ago when I was, uh, this really is a long time ago, uh, in the early, uh, 1985, 86 would have been, um, no, earlier than that, 81, 82, um, I received a combined death and libel uh, oh in one phone call. <laughs> First of all, he was going to sue me and then he was going to kill me or vice versa. I can't remember which. Okay. Uh, uh, neither of those came to anything. There have been a couple of other calls for Abe's when someone has taken a vast offence and got a lawyer on the job and the uh. legal letters come in demanding that the book be pulped and apologies uh. Uh, printed on the front pages of, uh, uh, of every newspaper in the world virtually um, <laughs> and variations on that. There have been three incidents over the years in, in each and every respect. They'd just gone away. I, I just simply uh, said, well, or the publisher standing behind me, um, it, uh, we stand by what we've said. And mm. uh, um, what else can one do? Uh, there is an interesting law case which says that um, you cannot defame a product. You can defame a person, you can defame mm. a company, but you can't defame a product. It's quite an interesting news corporation lawyers came up with that. It's quite handy that you have that legal background then. Now, people often ask you what goes well with certain foods, but I'm not because our listeners are, are, are readers and writers. So I'm actually going to put you on the spot here a bit and ask you to pick for your picks on what goes with certain types of reading. So, like, what's the best drop to go with, say, an action thriller book? <laughs> Now that is left field. Um, yeah. Music, it even goes more than uh, music. Well, <laughs> an, a, an action thriller, you certainly don't want um, a wine which uh, distracts you. Um, uh, I do not have a single bottle of Pinot Gris or Sauvignon Blanc or either of those two varieties in my 12,000 or so bottle cellar. Um, mm-hmm. So I can't resort to either one of those two. Um, perhaps a young, uh, fresh Semillon, perhaps even that wonderful um, 15% only uh, sherry from Spain, Manzanilla. Something which um, is, is packed, uh, packed, uh, has a effective tactile uh, feel in the mouth but doesn't, on the other hand, distract you because you're really wanting to read that action thriller and nothing should interrupt 
the quick page turning. How about a slow romance? Um, then definitely um, Pinot Noir, uh, mm. the, uh, the, the greater and older the better, because I can sit with a glass in the appropriate form, a burgundy glass, the big bowl type glass, regal glassware, um, mm. and smell um, the bouquet of a great burgundy for 15 minutes, literally, and this, this is not any exaggeration. Uh, and find continuously changing and new things in it um, and be almost apprehensive about tasting it, lest, lest the taste be uh, a letdown. Um, happily, it's never happened to me uh, yet and probably won't happen to me, um, but it, it does exercise my mind while I'm um, delving into these, and, uh, as I say, uh, Aladdin's cave or Abraham's coat, whichever sort of analogy you want, uh, of wonderful things that come off a, uh, a, a great old uh, Pinot. The Burgundians say if you get the bouquet right, the palate will look after itself. The Bordelais, who are Cabernet people, say you get the palate right and the bouquet will look after itself. They come to red wine from opposite ends of the universe. Well, that sounds like perfect for a slow romance. But how about a travel memoir through the hills of Tuscany? Uh, well, um, it would have to be, wouldn't it? Chianti Classico, which is San Giovese. <laughs> we do have um, this, this is a fair representation of uh, San Giovese in Australia. It mm. seems to have stalled. The um, plantings have decreased a bit, not increased. Um, but it's got that, uh, you know, quite vibrant. Um, fruit, but also enough uh, texture and tannin uh, to give uh, provide interest, um, and uh, uh, it, it, it can easily be uh, just as Pinot can be, um, but Sangiovese particularly uh, enjoyed even without a food background or a charcuterie accompaniment for Sangio. Mm. And what about if I was reading a business book, like one written by Richard Branson? Um, well, um, I suppose you go uh, to the most, uh, quotes, serious, close quotes, um, of all wines, uh, the wines of Bordeaux or the Kick in Australia, uh, Cabernet Slash, Cabernet Merlot, um, and look for the very best examples that you can find, um, because they will stand up to um, and be heard against the, all competition. Um, uh, in, in Australia, I guess Cullen is in Market River is one of the you know, very best producers uh, of Bordeaux, what we call Bordeaux blends, Cabernet Merlot and bits and pieces of other things. Mm-hmm. And finally, if I was reading James Halliday's Wine Companion, what would I be drinking? Well, um, I would go to the lists in the front where I list the best of the best um, in two ways. One is by variety, and you just simply go down the point scale. But then you also see in that list where they come from, and you suddenly realise that we don't grow everything at the top end everywhere in Australia. There, there really are some links between variety and re region. Um, so I would be uh, looking at that and deciding, well, I've got you know the best of this and the best of that. Um, or if perchance you were um, in a region, then you can also go to another list which has the best 
varieties, uh, sorry, the best wineries of the region that you're in. And I'd go for a five-star, five-red-star winery with the name printed in red because that is the the be-all and end-all. I can't go beyond that. I'm not going to have gold stars. That's where it's going to stop. Perfect. And on that note, thank you very much for joining us today, James. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online, including details about our courses, seminars and online learning, as well as information on our regular competitions where you can win books, movie tickets and literary experiences at www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au or visit me on my personal website, www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au ValerieKoo.com. That's ValerieKoo, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.